We believe. So what? What good is belief if it is not applicable to transforming life here and now? The truth is, our faith was never meant to be passive. We're called to have a faith that actually transforms us. So what does it look like to have a faith that builds strength through suffering? A faith that transforms us to be people who live with love in action. A faith that leads to reconciled relationships. A faith that speaks words that heal. A faith that invites us to be people who pray powerfully and experience what only God can do. We don't just want to believe. We want a faith that works. Good morning. <clears throat> a faith that works. Yes, on this Memorial Day weekend. Cheers to the 4th of July, yes, independence. <clears throat> you know, this weekend actually makes me think of a movie. The movie is Sandlot. Anyone like the movie Sandlot? Yeah, me too. Yeah, we're, now we're cheering for Sandlot. We're cheering for anything. I like that. I could say anything and we just cheer. Uh, Sandlot is a great movie. I love watching it specifically on this weekend with my little boys. And it's a simple story, Sandlot is. You have a little boy, his mom and his stepdad, that moved to a brand new town, but it happens to be right at the beginning of summer, and the boy's nervous because he has no friends. Do you remember the moment the mom like pushes the stepdad, just go play with him, go play baseball with him. So they go out back, and the, the, the stepdad realizes how terrible of a baseball player he is, and he's probably even more nervous, like how is he going to make friends, right? <laughs> And if you, if you remember that scene, or maybe you haven't seen the movie, the stepdad's like, you know, he's throwing the baseball with the little boy, and the little boy doesn't know how to play baseball at all. He can't throw, he can't catch, and that scene actually ends with the boy catching the ball, but it unfortunately hitting him in the face. And the dad's bummed. He's disappointed in his son, stepson. Thankfully, the little boy meets a group of other little boys. They go to the sandlot. The boy learns. There's a whole fiasco with a dog. Turns out it's a big dog. <sighs> And then the movie concludes at the end, and the little boy, by going to the sandlot, learned how to play baseball. They recover a really expensive ball, and that's the end of the story. I love the movie. There's one character that's incredibly frustrating, and unfortunately, you won't be able to watch the movie again without <laughs> thinking of this. For me, it's the stepdad. If you, if you watch him through the trajectory of the movie at the very beginning, he's playing baseball reluctantly with his stepson, and the whole time, he's disappointed in the little boy. He's critiquing him, trying to give him pointers, but really uninterested in teaching him anything. So the boy ends up going to the sandlot, learns the game of baseball from a number of other little boys. He doesn't learn it from the stepdad. He learns it because the stepdad's not interested in teaching that boy anything. And then at the end of the movie, here's the most frustrating part. There's almost this heroic moment with the stepdad after the boy has gone on the journey of learning how to play baseball, where now the boy can actually catch, now the stepdad is playing. <laughs> and it's the music even, is, it feels heroic. And they're enjoying the game of catch. And I gotta tell you, I think the stepdad missed out on the, the best part. And I'll be honest with you, I think the little boy missed out on his stepdad, the whole movie. The stepdad missed his part in the story. And the reason I bring up that stepdad is that it reminds me of someone who's the exact opposite of our Heavenly Father. 
who, guess what, wants to go on a journey with you, and he's not waiting for you to figure it all out in order for him to enjoy you. Do you know that? He's not waiting for you to figure it all out before you show up to church and then get to have intimacy with him. Unlike the stepdad, your heavenly father meets you right here this morning with whatever you're facing and the journey he wants to take you on this morning and really through the entire book of James. But what it says in these first four verses is the journey he's taking us on this morning is a journey that wants to take us to become more, ready for it, mature and complete, not lacking anything. Does that sound good for you this morning? Yeah, it sounds really great, and I wish that the journey there was easy. <laughs> Joke's on you and me. But it's a really important journey. And it's a hard journey. And that's why James writes about it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. James chapter 1. Begins like these New Testament letters do. James introduces himself as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's who he's writing to. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Oh, here's the journey. You ready? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Oh, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you, here it is, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sound good? But did you catch the journey? <laughs> we should probably go to prayer, huh? Because it actually feels miraculous for us to be able to land there using trials to get there, right? But just remember, your heavenly father's taking you on a journey and he wants to use the precise thing you're going for. This message this morning is not a bunch of information for you. This is something that can connect with your real life. And here's what I want to tell you as we go into prayer. God's with you on the journey. And this is, okay, I heard this recently. Someone told this to me and it was really helpful. And God is not worried about a thing. Like, I bring up trials, and you're, of course, if you really think about your trials, big ones, little ones, everything in between, I don't know about you, but that brings up a little worry, maybe anxiety. Here's the best, best news. Our God, he's not worried about a thing, and he's not even worried about timing like we are, right? So let's open to him and see what he might have. So Heavenly Father, here we are. And I know we have a lot of thoughts. I hope we have a lot of thoughts on this verse. That we're not just listening and letting it just kind of move past us. To consider it pure joy whenever we face trials. God, right now, as we open up our hearts to you, would we share with you what we really think about that? If we're expectant, Lord, open our heart and find expectancy. If we're frustrated by that, even if we lack faith that that could be possible, would we be honest with you right now, Lord? Hear our prayers. Have your way in us, we pray. And all God's children said, amen. This month we're going through the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Same mom. <laughs> this book was written likely around 60 A.D., 
And it's unique to the New Testament in that it's referred to as wisdom literature. There's a lot of wisdom literature in the Old Testament. This one is unique in the New Testament, the wisdom literature. But here's the good news. He's writing about trials to people who are facing trials. <laughs> He's not writing it to some apathetic audience. Check it out. Verse 1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's who he's writing to. To the 12 tribes who are what? Scattered among the nations. After a massive wave of persecution that likely happened in the book of Acts that it describes, they're scattered now all over the Mediterranean. They're in these, they're in these, they're, he's writing to these people who feel lost, who feel scattered, who feel outside of their comfort zone. Sound familiar? So I love this. He writes in a sense, he's like this. Hey, uh, so here's me, here's you, and a greeting. So here's the deal. Consider it pure joy when you go through trials. That's how he starts his letter. Because he knows what's on the top of their mind. And I wonder if he knows what's on the top of ours too. Whether or not we're trying to push down the little trial that we're facing because we compare it to other people's trials and we know it not, shouldn't be that bad so you just stuff it down then it keeps kind of like showing up and we just keep wanting to push it down. Or maybe the trial is at the forefront of your mind and it's all you think about every day. I understand. And here's what he does. James gives three words of wisdom. Three. Well, probably more, but I came up with three. <laughs> First one being this, he gives a new perspective on trials. Look, at, look with me at verse two. <clears throat> Consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Look at the next word, whenever, not if ever, when. Because he knows that trials are inevitable for everyone sitting here today. But listen to this new perspective. Consider it pure joy. Is that a little bit shocking to you? Because I'll be honest with you, the day that I first started studying this one for here was a really difficult day for me. And I read that and it felt impossible to look at trials of many kinds and to consider it pure joy. So I had to go on a deep, deep dive study. I had to understand this because I couldn't stand before you and lie. <laughs> Or just say, let's just believe it without going on the journey. No, 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 the Lord took me on a journey. And here's what I found. James is not saying, look at the trial and be happy about it. Some of you are relieved. Because <laughs> like you, at first glance, it sounds like that, right? He is not saying, look at it and be happy. No, no, no. He knows that when we're in the middle of suffering, our visceral emotion is not joy, but sorrow, right? He knows this. But he says, consider it pure joy. Now, here's what I've come to realize. What he's referencing on pure joy is not exclusivity of joy, but intensity of joy. What I mean by that is this. He's suggesting intensity, completeness, fullness of joy, pure joy, not exclusivity, not only joy. So he's not saying, look at your trial and go, only have joy about it. No, 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 no. He's saying sorrow, yes. Also, consider a new perspective too. Joy. On what kind of trials? All of them. You know what's weird is I've been studying this and I put together the entire message considering my greatest joy, which many of you know. A year and four months ago, my husband going to heaven unexpectedly for all of us. That's what I've written this message with. That's been on my forefront of my mind. And I actually got brought back as I was studying this, when I was studying how impossible it felt to consider it pure joy, and I go, it can't just mean look at it and be happy. It can't. 
And so as I went on that journey, I went, it, it doesn't have to be just joy, but it's also joy. But I, it brought me back to a moment that was really hard. And I'll share it with you. It's my church family. I'm going to share it with you. Here we go. You ready? Within the first week, I um, was sitting with my dearest, dearest friends, and I asked a really impossible question. I said, you know, I feel like in 10 years of marriage, we had just hit our 10-year anniversary, I felt like I had just started to really begin to understand that two become one in marriage. Like what he feels burdened by, I feel burdened by. What I feel excited about, he feels like we were starting to really get that. And then I looked at my friends and I go, so what happens, what's the math when, so two become one in marriage, what happens when one loses one? Do I lose myself? How does the math work? And my friends are wise enough not to say anything dumb. <laughs> and not to speak just like a quick Bible verse into that moment. They just sat there with me in the pain. Six months ago, one of those gals in that room comes up to me and goes, you know, I haven't stopped thinking about your math problem. <laughs> I was like, what math problem? I had forgotten this. She reminded me of the moment. And I'm like, oh. She goes, I've watched you this year. She goes, it seems like half of you is in heaven. Can I tell you, it feels right. I feel like God gives me this wild perspective on hard things where I can fully feel sad and fully feel hopeful at the same time. Like there's moments I'm doing something hard and I have this eternal perspective of life is short, so with it I want to be obedient and faithful because he's perfectly faithful and he's going, your time matters there, use it well. And she's telling me this, I'm going, yes, that's it. It doesn't mean I just ignore suffering. No, 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 it actually means I can be free enough to fully embrace it because I know that it's not the only perspective. James urges us, and I urge you, consider a new perspective. Joy is possible. So not only does James write and say consider a new perspective, thankfully he keeps on writing because then he allows us to see the potential of trials when he writes this, verse three, because, I love that he even writes that, there's a little bit of proof there. <laughs> Don't just take my word for it. Let's keep reading. <laughs> because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, so let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Notice, by the way, I said, number one, perspective on trials. Number two, potential of trials, not guarantee of trials. That's significant. Because have you noticed trials either mature you, are able to help you help others, are able to help you see others, are able to grow you or we just become more self-absorbed. <laughs> Focusing on the problem, but let me say, there's no guilt and shame in that second half. It's just human. It's human when a trial comes to think about it and focus on it. And what James is doing is saying, yes, that's human. But there's another perspective, and that perspective leads to potential. And he even uses this word, because you know that in the testing of your faith, and I don't even really like, I gotta be honest, I don't like that he says testing there. I wish it was another word. 
But, that, but the truth is I've seen this in the life of people, that trials, what do they do? They test the faith. And, I'll, and again, I, I boast simply in faith because faith is a God-given gift. That's not something that I've achieved on my own, but I can tell you this. It has tested my faith in this season, and what I've come to is more faith. More faith to trust him more, which makes absolutely no sense, which is just evidence of the Lord in my life. Yes, okay. But I also, I also have to bring this up. A lot of us have seen people face trials and it tests their faith, and they fall away, if you notice this. Why? Because what, what's been tested is what their faith really is in. Is it in God? See, oftentimes I feel like a lot of us, what it reveals is that our faith is in a God who makes our life easier or more comfortable. And so the testing of a trial makes us run a different direction. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I even, it even says this, because you know, <laughs> do you know that? That the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I recently learned it because I'm in school, I don't know if you know that, I'm in school, getting my doctorate in spiritual formation, how to become more like Christ. Wow, that's hard. No, 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 we don't clap for that. I'm just gonna tell you this. Here's, I get to the end of class and I'm like, I don't get it. And the teacher's like, you are growing. I'm like, what? He's like, because you don't get it, because you thought that you did beforehand, and you're growing in humility, which actually is more Christ-like. Isn't that wild? Yes, don't clap. Trust me, don't clap. Okay, but in class, I had to do this thing called a life map. This is mine. Can you zoom out wide, maybe? Wide angle, so you don't get all close. Okay, so this is my life. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> you have to take sticky notes, and you basically, for an hour, sit there and write as many memories as you can. And unfortunately, my parents were over, so they helped. <laughs> Like, remember that one time? I'm like, I don't. Okay, so, and then you do sticky notes of all one color, and then you take a separate color, and then you look, read through all those, and you put them in chronological order, and then you change out the color of the ones that, that mark pain in your life. People, relationships, moments, anything. And then you take a third color, and you write things you learned. And some things you learn irrationally. Like, for instance, when you're little and, like, kids hurt you, you learn, like, friends are not safe, you know? Like we learn things irrationally and sometimes rationally and, and then sometimes, and this is the beauty, is you got to go back over your entire life and then go and look at the things you actually did learn. And here's what I learned about my life map. Ready for it? Success is limited in its ability to grow you. Isn't that weird? Success, let me put it this way. You cannot succeed your way into maturity. I wish you could. You can't even um, know your way into maturity. You can't sit in a Sunday morning and learn something and then become more mature. You can't feel your way into maturity. Based on James and based on my life map, and I have a feeling yours too, you only persevere your way into maturity. Do you know this? Because James says, because you know as you consider your life. You can only persevere your way into maturity. Number one, success is limited in its ability to grow you. The second thing I learned is this, that trials have the radical potential to turbocharge your growth, to grow you in endurance, to mature you, to strengthen you, even if you feel weak in the journey. <laughs> Reminds me of strength training at the gym. So if I were to go to the gym, let's say, okay, so if I'm doing bicep, <laughs> if I'm doing, <laughs> let's say hypothetically, if one day I were to do bicep curls, 
That one time I did bicep curls. If in the future God leads me to do bicep curls, if you did bicep curls. Have you ever done them? <laughs> me either. Okay, if you did though. So this is strength training, right? What happens? You start strong and you're like, that's the weight, I can do this. And it gets what? Harder. And what do you feel? Weaker. With each bicep curl, your arms feel more like spaghetti. Yes? And here's the shock of it all. The weaker you feel that you're getting, the stronger you're actually becoming. That is true for strength training. That's how it works, and I'm gonna say it again. That's true for strength training. The weaker you feel, the stronger you're actually becoming. The more impatient you feel. Here's the weird thing, I already told you. I wrote this with my greatest trial in front of me. I hadn't considered some of the littler trials, yet this says that this is for trials of many kinds, big, small, everything. Two nights ago, I'm looking over my notes. I finished this a couple days ago. Two nights ago, I'm looking over my notes and I'm looking at that moment and I'm realizing the power of that phrase. That's how strength training works. That's how strength training works. I know you think. Think about that thing that makes you feel very impatient. Think about that thing that makes you feel very weak. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a frustration at work. I wonder if that's the area God wants to mature you through. Have you considered that? This is why James writes to consider a new perspective on it. That there might even be joy right there because that's going to lead you to your greater intimacy with the Father, which is where your greatest strength is. And consider a new perspective on trials. That might be why Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, therefore, in order to keep me from, in order to keep me from becoming seated, why? Because success has a limited in its ability to grow you. In order to keep me from becoming succeeded, this is Paul, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know what that was. We just know it was a trial. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul understands that you don't want to go through this trial. But he said to me, this is God's words, my grace is sufficient, it's enough for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul's response, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in anything that keeps me weak, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Look at this scripture. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't this so backwards? Some of you are like, I already knew that. Did you? Because <laughs> I feel like I had heard it before. I don't think I understood it. I hadn't let God take me on a journey. He says this, so what do we do? Verse four, back to James. Verse four, so let perseverance finish its work. I like that, it doesn't say, so you have to. No, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking 
anything. It's interesting it uses the word let. (laughs) It's like a passive word. If I were to say, let him go, if you were holding on to someone and someone said, let him go, let means let go of. So there's the visual. Anything you're trying to control, let. In other words, perseverance is not something we do, it's something we need to let God do to us. And here's a different word. Not try harder to figure out your trials or to fix them on your own strength in the power of the flesh, which turns out is extremely weak. (laughs) In other words, open, here's the word, open to God. Not try to figure it out on your own. Why? Because of the potential. Verse 4 again. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, which means equipped for everything. Trials give you the traits necessary to be useful in the life of anybody because suddenly you become more aware of what other people are going through. Have you been there? Oh. Very first message I gave, I think my second one was here. My first message I gave was at a church in Arizona, and I told them, I was like, I don't even know if I'm ready for a live audience. It was like six months later, and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for, like, people. (laughs) And they went, let's film it early on a Wednesday. We'll just have, like, production crew. I'm like, okay. And so on Wednesday, I came in, and I filmed the whole message, and it was really an odd experience because, A, there's, like, only a couple camera people, and then there's me on the stage in, like, empty seats, I'm sharing this truth, and then I finish it, and then the lights faded down, and I remember feeling so alone. And then the lead pastor walked from the back of the room, and it was so slow. He just walked slowly. And I finished it, and it was just kind of like, well. And he walks on stage, and he goes, you know, this is going to be a real interesting season. I was like, really? (laughs) And he goes, it seems like you're going to be moving from a season of being impressive to being really impactful because pain is relatable. They've held on to those words. James writes that we would have a new perspective on trials, joy. And he even tells us about the potential, not guarantee, of joy, or of of trials. And it's only possible because of number three, presence in trials. And I mean this in two ways. The first way is to consider who James is writing to. He's not writing to an individual. Check out verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. This message is for the family of faith. In fact, it's illogical for those who are not within the faith. In fact, Christianity is distinct because it's one of the only faiths that have a purpose for pain. Everyone else is to eliminate it. Christianity is the only one that's like, actually, the way we pave the way of our faith is through it, through Jesus himself. But there's two ways. Number one, he's writing to a group of people who are going through pain together. And this is incredibly important. I am living proof of this. I've needed people more than ever. And as I did my life map, I realized, turns out I've needed people all along. I just didn't know it. And he's writing two brothers and sisters. Listen to this. I found this so interesting. Psychologists say this. Trauma. So again, what can happen is you go through a pain and then it can actually become a trauma. Trauma is what happens when people experience suffering alone. 
James Pennebreaker was the first guy to do a long-term study on trauma survivors, and what he was studying was this, people who have gone through really terrible trials. Some people are devastated and it's a downward spiral and it just gets worse. And then some people, they were noticing there's just this radical, like, they become more joyful. And almost like they have this sense of ease and they go, what's the difference? And so they made their hypothesis in the study. Their hypothesis was, I wonder if it's the nature of the trauma. If it's maybe, if it's sexual trauma versus physical trauma or versus emotional trauma. And they, they went and said, we think our hypothesis is that what we'll find at the end of the study is that it's the type of trauma that actually has to do with whether or not or how they recover. They found zero correlation between the nature of the trauma and the type of recovery. Here's what they found. The number one indicator of people who grew through trauma had family, friends, or a support group to process their pain with. Presence in trials. Friends, we need each other. You need to not go through things alone. And with this great crowd of witnesses around us, people who understand pain, here's what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. There's that word. Similar to endurance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes where? On the second presence in in trials. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. Listen to that. He went first and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured the cross, his trial. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So here's the question. What was his joy? It says that. He endured the cross, so he went through, endured pain, suffering, trials, for the joy set before him. What was that? Was it glory? Well, he had that before the incarnation. Was it holiness? No. He had that too before he became man. So what? Why did he come to earth? To endure the cross There is one answer. The only thing in heaven the Trinity didn't have before Jesus came to earth was us. So that scripture means this. For us, he endured the cross for his joy. In suffering, Jesus was seeking relationship with us because the only way relationship would be possible was by him enduring the cross. See, he endured the cross so we could have joy, intimacy of relationship. 
we endure our hardships because we already have it. And trials do this radical work of bringing us closer into intimacy. Listen to the author of Psalms 1611 that writes this, you make known to me the path of life. Here it is, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Jesus endured so that relationship would be possible. When James writes, consider it pure joy, what he's saying is this, let your trial bring you into intimacy with Jesus. That's where joy is found. If you're wondering how to get there, that's how. Like I said, I wrote this message with one massive trial on my mind. What I was surprised by is that he cares about all the little ones in between. <laughs> in fact, uh, one area of grief for me is whenever I host, because my husband was an amazing cook, and he's like, you just go be social. I'm like, sounds great. Um, and now I have to figure out, like, do I cook? I <laughs> or do I, like, order food out? That's expensive. So I'm like, do I even just invite anybody or do I just, like, not? You know? So I, I you know, like, that one day you make all the plans and then the rest of the days you're, like, regretting making all the plans? Yeah, yeah, okay. <clears throat> I made a really big plan for Memorial Day. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to invite everybody. So, like, all my closest friends, all their families, I'm like, I got this and I'm going to cook. It's a good idea. And so I went and I bought all the food and I was so excited about it. And everyone I invited said yes. I was like, oh, this is the best. We're all excited. The morning of, I take my boys to the park and I'm pushing my little guy on the swings and I get the first text that's like, oh, um, we can't come anymore. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. And it was like the biggest family. I'm like, ah, you know, there's 50 bucks. Okay, it's okay, you know. <laughs> And then I immediately get a phone call from a friend who I'm, I'm assuming is comforting me. <laughs> and she calls and she's like, we can't come either. I'm like, no. Now half my group is not coming. And I'll be honest with you, I was really disappointed. And here's what I would normally do. Push that little disappointment, just push it here and then just kind of go forward and then kind of resent people that didn't come, you know, but hopefully it doesn't like affect my actions toward them. Just kind of push that disappointment over here and then just like serve a bunch of other people, the ones who care about being there and the ones who care about me. And I was like, oh no, something's off. James writes wisdom in trials, including that one. Consider another perspective, consider the potential, and consider presence. Open the trial to the Lord. I'm literally pushing my little three-year-old on a swing and I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm disappointed. Let me open that up. And this is what I did. I actually had this like visual in my head of opening up this dark negative emotion that I don't like. I'd rather just push it down, anyone else? And I just opened it up and I'm like, okay, let's look at it. I'm disappointed, Lord, why? And, I, and we just went on a journey together. And as I'm pushing my little, higher, okay, okay, yeah. And I realized, I was finding like surprising insecurity there. I didn't even know existed. I thought it was personal. I'm like, why don't they want to come? They know the pain, they know what a big deal it is. And I thought it was really personal. And so I just spent time with the Lord. And as I opened my heart to him, he's like, read the text. And I went back and I read the first text. Her kids were sick. <laughs> it wasn't personal. Oh. but I still feel disappointed why and so I just spent time with the Lord I'm like search my heart Lord why am I disappointed I'm disappointed because I wanted a big gathering the Lord's like that's okay you could be disappointed I'm like oh I'm disappointed because of the money <laughs> he's like I'd be disappointed 
I'm like, oh, that's okay? And I just wasn't alone with my disappointment. It seems so simple and so silly, but it was like, I'm allowing the presence. I'm opening up to a different perspective on it. And you know what journey he took me on? Within 10 minutes, <laughs> it was wild, ready for this? I invited other people. I didn't even waste money. <laughs> and I got to bless other people. Can I tell you what I naturally in my human flesh would have done? Shoved it and then been kind of resentful. Friends, you don't have to go on any journey alone. That's what this is doing. He's so wise. James, half-brother of Jesus. It's in the blood. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Pure joy, not just only joy, just consider also joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance, open it up, open it up. Let perseverance have its way so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. <laughs> There's this little kid song. <laughs> it's so silly. We're going on a bear hunt. Anyone ever heard of it? Yeah. Going on a bear hunt. And what happens? There's like tall wavy grass going on a bear hunt. I don't even know how it sounds. <laughs> there's tall wavy grass or later on there's rivers. There's all sorts of things that get in the way. And the little song goes like, can't go over it. Can't go under it. You got to go through it. I agree. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Let your trials lead you to your greatest joy, intimacy with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you use all things. It feels miraculous. It feels upside down, backwards. It feels impossible, yet with, all, with you, all things are. So right now, I pray that we would take those little disappointments, those angers, those frustrations, all the negative emotions that we try to stuff, would we just hold those in our little hands, crack it open to you right now. Be with us, Lord, in our disappointments, in our sadnesses, in the difficulty parenting. Grow us, we pray. And all God's children said, 